we come today to that table of the king. We come to worship. We come to be reminded. We come to give thanksgiving for what he has done and what he has accomplished on the cross. Paul talked a lot about the cross. Paul interpreted the cross for us perhaps as clearly as anywhere in Scripture. The Gospels tell us of the event. Jesus gave instruction to his disciples about what it meant. And he talked about that it was coming. And he told that the purpose was for the redemption of his people and the forgiveness of sin and all those other things. But it was Paul that sort of formulated and amplified and helped us get a clear understanding of the centrality and the absolute purpose of the cross. Join me, if you would, in looking into Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, and just a few verses there, verses 11 through 16. Galatians chapter 6, and those last few verses, well, except the last two, in that epistle. Paul has written to the Galatians and talked to them about people bewitching them and turning them back to their slavery and sin again and slavery of religious activity and slavery of ritualism. And he's talked about their freedom in Christ. We sang about that this morning. I, I love that song, And Can It Be, written by, written by one of the Wesley boys who said, you know, I was imprisoned, I was dead, and, and your eye diffused a quickening light in my dungeon cell. My, all of a sudden, my, my, my eyes were opened. I, I was brought to life. I was quickened, brought to life from the dead. My chains fell off, and I arose and followed you, O Lord. It, it, it's the work of Christ through the cross that brings such a glorious freedom. And, and Paul wanted the Galatian Christians to understand that. Listen to what he says in 11 through 16, chapter 6 of his letter to the Galatian Christians. See with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be, God forbid, that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You know, the cross and this meal, this Lord's Supper, really brings us face to face with some themes that, quite honestly, our day and our culture uh, would just as soon ignore things such as sin and judgment, wrath, 
and suffering, death and guilt. These are all things that, quite honestly, we just really don't like to think about. And so we devise for ourselves in our modern world, uh, in our postmodern world, sort of systems and, and free thinking that sets us free from those things. I was amazed uh, one night this week watching Nightline. I don't know if you watched that or not, but they were discussing, is the devil real? And, and one of my personal heroes, Deepak Shapiro, actually, I say that with tongue-in-cheek. If you know me, you know that. Said, you know, I'm just glad that I'm not, he's talking to, to uh, Driscoll, and he said, uh, the pastor on there, and he said, I'm just glad that I'm not so filled with guilt that I need a Savior. And Driscoll said, well, I was filled with guilt, but I'm not any longer because the Savior took my guilt away. But, you know, man would rather just say, I'm not guilty. I have no sin. There's no such thing as the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Why, I'm just happy to be here. Sadly, more and more in our world today have accepted that. Many years ago, in the 40s, uh, Richard Niebuhr, who was on the, a bit of the left side of the spectrum, made this statement, though, in, in talking about American Christianity and the, just sort of the easygoingness of it. Niebuhr said that American Christianity in the 1940s was this. American Christianity had a God without wrath, brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. End quote. And if that was the case in the 40s, where is it today in the 21st century? We deny all those things. We want just an easy believism and an easy Christianity. and We don't want a God who, is a God who has wrath towards sin, as Paul said, pouring out his judgment on all sin everywhere at all times. We just want a nice little meek and mild Jesus who, who, who says, be happy and do your own thing. When the Apostle Paul in the, to the Corinthian Christians was, was just sort of giving them the essence of the gospel. The essence of what the gospel message was, he said this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. This is it. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are central to the gospel. And they're central to this table that we come to this morning. You know, truth of the matter is, folks, there are only two kinds of religions in this world today. Always, there already always has been only two religions. You may look at it and say, oh, no, there's Islam and Buddhism and Judaism and Christianity and, and Hinduism and, and uh, Shintoism and, and, and Taoism and Daoism. And you can go on and on and on. Thousands of of man, uh, manifestations of them, but there's really only two religions. There is the religion that we might say is the religion of human effort. The religion says, I must try harder. I must try to be good. I, if I'm good enough, God will have to accept me. And so they're always pressing to say, well, I'm good enough. They're the Deepak Chaparros of the world that says, you know, I really am okay. I really am good. I really am sufficient in myself. 
And then there are the, there's the religion of divine accomplishment. That's what Christianity is. Everything else stands in contradiction to that. Everything else stands opposite of that. And Christ says, I came and I bore the cross and I bore my, your sins on my body on that cross that you might have life and that that life might be eternal. Paul talks about the cross just briefly. I want you to see this here in this passage I read before we come to this table. He says a lot about the cross here, but he talks about here, I only will glory, I will only boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus because that is the religion of divine accomplishment. You know, it was, a, it was an instrument of torture, an instrument of pain, an instrument of death. And Paul says, that's where I'm going to boast in what Christ did on that cross because it accomplishes what nothing else could. God set the standard. We can't change the standard. Many religions, many people try to do it. But as we've talked about in the Truth Project on Sunday nights for the last six weeks, and we'll be looking at about another seven weeks, as we've talked about there is the truth of God, which is reality, and there's the lie of the world, the flesh, and the devil, which is illusion, and, and we have bought in as a culture, sadly, to the lie and to the illusion, thinking that we're better than we are. There's no religion that points to the one Savior except Christianity. All other religions have this long series, this long process of salvation. If you work hard enough and dig it out and stick it out, you might make it. Maybe. With Christianity, it's instantaneous. The Spirit of God touches your life, touches your heart, and changes you. You know, some will try to say the cross was just a great example. It, it, was, it was an example of self-giving. Folks, if that's all it was, then we're, as Paul said, wasting our time in here today. Because the cross led to the resurrection, which is the centrality. Either the cross is the only way of redemption, or it's the most ridiculous act in all of human history. One or the other. There's no choice. Paul really gives three reasons here why he boasts in the cross. And as we come to this table, they're important to remember, I think, this morning. First of all, he says in verse 14 that, that the cross frees us from the world's bondage. He said, through the cross of Jesus Christ, I have been, uh, the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. The whole world system is doomed and damned, according to the Word of God. The world is not are religious, but the world is very religious, but it's only religious with the religion of human achievement. Sadly, we have perpetrated that sometimes, even in the church ourselves. How many times were you told as a child, and I was, you better be good or, or you won't get to heaven. And reality has nothing to do with it. So what have you done with Christ? Has the cross and the work of the cross been applied to your life. Paul says, I want you to know I have been crucified to the world. The world has been crucified to me. In other words, he's lost his love for the world. 
So the cross gives me a new love for Jesus Christ. It gives me a new passion for life. And it's not determined by how the stock market rises or falls. It's not determined about whether they're bailouts and stimulus packages and everything else. not determined by all that. It's determined by the fact that my focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. And everything else pales in comparison to that. Second thing he says, the cross does what the flesh could not. Verse 15 he says, for neither circumcision anything nor circumcision any, uncircumcision anything, but it's a new creation. The cross brings about a new creation. Religion, circumcision, rituals, rites, things we try to do, those only work on the outside. And that's why Jesus looked at the, the Pharisees and said, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but it's dead and rotting inside. Religion of human achievement can only work on the outside. But the cross makes a new creature. The cross makes a new person. Changes them not just on the outside. It'll happen on the outside, but also on the inside. We don't have time to read it now, but take time and read Romans chapter 6 through 8 and see about that new man and what the cross does. God's new man in Romans 6 through 8. He said it also kind of briefly in, in Galatians chapter 2 when he just simply said this, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If I can just obey the law, if I can just be good, be made right with God, Paul says in Christ, died needlessly. That's the most ridiculous event in all of history. If we can be good enough to get it. And then he says the third reason he glories in the cross is found in verse 16, where he simply says it brings salvation's benefits. And those who will walk by this rule, the rule of the cross, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. That's one of Paul's favorite terms for the church of Jesus Christ. The Israel of God. He says it brings salvation's benefits. It brings peace with God. We're no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer enemies with God. We are at peace with God. It brings the peace of God. Even in the midst of difficult times and difficult situations, it brings the mercy of God. It brings justification through faith. It brings adoption into God's family and reconciliation, though we were separated. It brings redemption, though we were lost. It brings union with Christ, our oneness in Him. And it brings propitiation, the averting, the turning away, the wrath of God on us. It shields us from that wrath. One of the hymns we sang this morning, well, it was, again, and can it be, has as that last verse, no condemnation now I dread. Of course, that's just a statement from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what a statement. For those who know the reality of what the, the, the juice, the fruit of the vine and the bread symbolize, his body 
given on the cross, his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sin, for the, for the reality of a new life in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoa. No condemnation. There, you're not going to get before God one day and say, Oh, well, you know, Bill, I tell you, I'd, I'd like to... I'd really like to have you here, but I know you trusted Christ. I know the Holy Spirit indwelled in you, and I know that you were, but, you know, I just can't tolerate you. No condemnation. Not going to get there, and he's going to say, you know, Jesus covered 98.2% of your sins, but that 0.8%, or was it 1.8%, 98.2, 1.8%, never did well in math. That 1.8%, it just ruins the whole thing. Jesus almost died for all your sins, but didn't quite get them all. No. We stand before him. We will be, as we sang this morning, clothed in his righteousness, in his righteousness. Not in my righteousness. My righteousness, as your pastor, I want you to know, is filthy rags useless stinks but I'm thankful to God that because of the work on the cross because of the application of that to my life by the Holy Spirit because I've trusted in Christ and Christ alone not in my good works in Christ and Christ alone that I'll be able to stand before God with the assurance of no condemnation that not 98.2, but 100% of my sins have been forgiven, have been cleansed, and have been covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This table is not to be taken lightly. We come to this table, and it's to be taken by Christians. Those who have placed their trust in the body and the blood of Christ. If you're here this morning not a Christian, I'm not trying to sing you out here, but I'm just saying, just think about what this means. Don't take of it. Paul said to the Corinthian Christians that because some have taken of it unworthily, that is, they, they don't really know the Lord and they, they just take of it because everybody else is, some are sick and some have even died. It's a serious matter. But if you're in a Christian you don't have to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. If you're here and a Christian, you know the Lord, you follow him in baptism, then I, I encourage you to partake with us. This is the Lord's meal. But if you're here not a Christian, think about the body and the blood that was shed on the cross. Think about what that means. If it's true, and it is. Think about what it should mean in your life. And I urge you to come to faith in Christ today. Cast yourself upon the Lord for his mercy and for his grace. And even as you let the cups and the bread pass by you, think about it when it goes by. This bread symbolizes his body that hung on that cross. This fruit of the vine, this juice, symbolizes his blood that was shed to cleanse me of my sin. And come to Christ. Come to Christ.
Let's pray together. While we're praying, I'm going to ask the deacons who are going to share, who are going to serve this meal to come forward and prepare to do that, be ready to do that. Father, I just bow before you right now and thank you for the truth of the cross. Thank you for the reality of what this, these symbols symbolize. And that, Lord, we come not because of our goodness, not because of our merit, but we come trusting the merit of Christ and Him alone. Father, I pray for men and women, young people here who don't know you today. And I would ask you, Lord, to direct their attention to your sacrifice. And Lord, I'd ask your Holy Spirit to draw them to faith in Christ and apply that sacrifice to their life, even this very morning. Father, I ask you to free us all from the religion of human achievement. Turn us to faith in Christ completely because it's divine accomplishment. Father, we ask your blessings on the cup and on the bread. We ask you, Father, to strengthen us by it as we Christians think about your great gift that's been applied to our lives. And we are so grateful for. We are so grateful for. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that applies it. Thank you, the great God who is Trinity, who is three in one. One God. One true and only God whom we worship. Thank you, Father. As you continue to pray, prepare your hearts to receive the bread and the juice.